1: Good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson, coming to you from lovely Gilbert, Arizona. It's cooled off. We are officially what I would call an Arizona winter, a high of 70 today. So uh, we're battening down the hatches. We're putting jackets on. It was only 39 when I went for my run this morning. So it, it does actually get quite cold in the mornings and overnight, but It's a great time of year. spent the weekend in Sedona with my wife, did a lot of hiking, did some off-roading, did some mountain biking. It's a great time of year to be in Arizona. So we live for this. But if you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you're wondering what it is we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz, we're a podcast that's put together for small business owners by small business owners. And literally what we do is we interview a new business owner every single week and allow them to tell their story and talk about their successes, talk about their failures, talk about things they've learned along the way, so that it can benefit other entrepreneurs and other business owners that that are either aspiring to start their own business or currently own their own business. So with that being said, we definitely have a tycoon of small biz on the phone, or excuse me, on the the program with us today. We've got Dustin Carrion with COI Holdings coming to us from Newport
0: Beach, California. Dustin, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, Austin? Great to be here. Yeah, thirty nine in Southern California is like below freezing, so that's pretty cold. (laughs) But I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity to be on the podcast. I've listened to it quite a few times. I really appreciate what you and your partner, Landon, do for small businesses, and also your, you know, your practices, what you do for small businesses. Really appreciate and honor to be here.
1: Yeah, we we appreciate that. I mean, if if for those listeners who aren't familiar, Backbone Planning Partners is Landon and I's company. And we believe so strongly that the backbone of the American economy is the small business owner that we named our practice Backbone Planning Partners. So thanks for mentioning that. Really appreciate it. But uh, Dustin, before we kind of jump into the business side of things, which you have a great story, we've had, you know, a prequel call like we do with all of our, our guests. But, um, you know, your story is, is a unique one. And I want to jump into that. But Let's start on the personal side first. So tell us about you know where you grew up, what life was like as a kid. Are you married today? Do you have kids? Did you go to college? If so, what did you study? Those types of things. So what, what would you like to tell us about you personally? Yes,
0: absolutely. Yeah, I grew up just right outside of Los Angeles. My Both of my parents were kind of blue collar workers, right? Well, my mom would stay at home, but she eventually worked and you know, got, got rid of, uh, got away from us, <laughs> myself and my two younger brothers. So I'm the oldest of three. My dad, interesting, was in the scrap metal business. So most of his life, he was like one of those guys that was working behind a scale when you go to sell your aluminum cans. So on top of that, my mom and dad both had this hobby of like collecting junk. So I kind of grew up watching that. And that was kind of what drew me into entrepreneurship without really knowing it. Um, we would go to swap meets, or I'm sorry, garage sales, estate sales on Saturdays, and then buy something for a buck, you know, a lamp or whatever it is, and then go to the swap meet the next day and sell it for five bucks. And, and I just love that, right? We were the ones that we, we didn't have a lot, we, di- we didn't grow up extremely poor. My parents did but we didn't grow up rich. Right. So I, you know, we had, you know, I was on food stamps and got assistance, but I didn't really understand what all that was. As a result of that, we were able to go out and do things out outdoors. So instead of like going to Disneyland, we ended up going to like the, uh, like the beach and we we're picking up like you know, metal cans and aluminum cans and metal detectors. So we really looked kind of odd, but we loved that. It was a treasure hunt, right? You never know what you're going to find. So I, I got introduced to that really young. My mom and dad got a divorce. I moved with my moved in with my dad, and, and and around this time, this is something that I don't always share a lot. A lot of people don't know this about my background. But as a teenager, I got in a lot of trouble, and and it's kind of important to me to mention that because struggling young and early. Even though I don't recommend it is a good thing. And and, and I also struggled with addiction really bad too at that age. As a result, I got put away for for a while, (laughs) went through the juvenile hall court system. It it was the best thing that happened to me at that time, because what it did was through those struggles and through that pain, I ended up learning a lot of lessons. And part of the lessons was, was that I, for the first time, was starting to become trustworthy. And By the time I got out of these institutions, I I was kind of released back into normal life again. And getting a job, going to school, I mean, I had like a junior high school education. I dropped out when I was in the sixth grade. What happened was I had this desire to, okay, what do I wanna do with my life, right? Well, I gotta go back to high school. So I was juggling a lot of things, got a job at a gas station, got a job at a laundromat, it's terrible terrible at all those things. But the important thing is, is that I, I had structure in my life and I had a purpose in my life. And, and one of those things was like, well, look, if I could get out of trouble, then maybe I could help other kids or juveniles get out of trouble. And that helped me. When I was 18, I, I was able to, um, you know, I had two jobs um, was going to night school and I was able to graduate from high school and, and had no idea what I wanted to do. So I ended up started to work with my dad. My dad had his own business at this one time. He had a one or two man scrap operation running from our three bedroom apartment. So in our apartment, there was like, there was like cans and and drums and oil all over the floor. And there was trucks outside. And And I asked my dad to work with him. And he said to work with him. And he said, no, uh, because he knew I'd probably be terrible. But you no, know, this is how I got my start in the business that I'm in today. You know, before I dig into that, around this time, I, I um, you know, got in a relationship and I had a son at the age of 20. So, you know, my, my son is in 28 today. You know, years of that, of being a father, being involved in the business later, starting my own business, and then trying to give back has, has been a big part of my life. It, it was able to juggle all those things, you know, growing up really fast, uh, taught me a lot of things. So I didn't go on to college. I started working with my father and, and I'm sure we'll drill into that. From that point is that I was able to start the business that I still own today. I'm married today for almost eight and a half years now, I'll probably get yelled at that, <laughs> you know, live, live down in South Orange County and, and yeah, I'm just, you know, living living my dream, you know, as as they say. Yeah, for sure
1: yeah I mean it's it's interesting to me i mean we've been we've been doing this for a long time now, about two and a half years we've we've recorded one hundred and thirty something episodes. I think you're one thirty one or one thirty two to be honest with you and, and you know every entrepreneur has their own story, and there's a bunch of different versions of that story, right? Some grew up in families of entrepreneurs and did very, very well. Some grew up in families of entrepreneurs and didn't do very well some got into trouble some didn't some have ivy league you know degrees some of them you know have geds i mean the the reality is or i guess the biggest lesson from what you just went through is what you do as a kid it's not that it doesn't matter but just because you got into trouble or you had addiction issues or you had a child at a young age like none of those are excuses to say that i can't build a business and be successful in america
0: a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And and I think what happens is that when you, whether you're dealt a bad hand in life, like a lot of us have, or whether you accomplish the unthinkable, right? Like if, if I was to hear a story like mine or, or somebody that went through issues and then hear about it today, I would just kind of go like, no, that's no way that could happen to me. Right. So I, I think once you experience that, you, you you start to realize that there's hope and that anybody like, oh, there's, there's nothing I can't do today, right? <laughs> you start to believe that. And and the thing is, is that, like you said, it's so true, everybody has their own journey. So just because that was my path doesn't mean that it's the path for, for everyone else because it all has to do with timing, right? Like if I would have doing what I do today, which is quite different than what I did in the beginning, even though I'm still in the business, if I would have started off doing that back then what I'm doing today, I just wasn't ready. I had a lot to learn. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you've probably
1: read or listened to this book Beyond Entrepreneurship, and now they've got like the 2.0 version. Right. And I'm re-listening to it now. And I was listening to it this morning on on my run, and it, it actually talked about how especially today, a lot of startups believe that you've got this visionary entrepreneur that comes up with this great idea, but you get to a certain point and then you have to bring in a professional manager, right? And sometimes that's the truth, right? I mean, that's the reality. Sometimes they're just inventors, they're just idea people, and and they they don't really want to or can't run a business. So sometimes it's true. But I think that that tends to be a crutch a lot of times. And, and, you know, they start nailing or, you know, naming off all of these individuals that what if they had done that to these people? And they actually did it with Steve Jobs. Like Steve Jobs was kind of forced out and then had to come back in and save the company. And the thing is, like you just said, like at the beginning, you may not be ready to run an organization that has thousands of employees and has, you know, is the first company to ever hit a trillion dollar market cap, right? But later on, when he came back in, he kind of grew into that. And we all have that in us. We all have to grow into certain things. And there's a reason that most of the time you start a business as yourself, as a solopreneur, and then you kind of build into it. We're going to talk a little bit more in our interview today with, you know, the difference, because you've done both. You you started a company, you took over your dad's company, you bought other companies that were already existing. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of different things for us to discuss discuss today. But I think that that idea that you just laid out of growing into certain things is super important, right? I mean, I've got a 22-year-old son. He's not ready to step in and run my business, but that doesn't mean that in 20 years, he won't be very interesting. So let's kind of start at the beginning, right? So you started working with your dad. What did that kind of lead to, you know, in terms of business and and like your first business? And then I want to tie that in to kind of really the biggest failure along the way and, and lessons that you've learned along the way. Yeah,
0: well, I I have plenty of those, <laughs> and you know, I you know, it's funny. I, I just I, as I I was involved in Vistage for years, a peer to peer advisory board group, and and I got so much of it. I have you know lifelong friends today. And one of the things, and again, I don't want to get too far off what we're talking about, but I remember one one meeting, we went around the room, and the question was, every CEO had to had to basically say. If you were to, if, if there was one, what is the one truth that my employees have no idea, right? Like if I was to tell my employees one thing and, and the, the common answer was that. My employees don't know the fact that I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) half the time. You know, and 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 that's that's really what it is. And that ties into that when when you start your own business or when you start off, even if you're just working for somebody like I did with my dad in the beginning, um, when you're young, you have no idea what you're doing. And the thing is, is that I wouldn't take those risks today. Knowing what I know, and when you're young and you just you know you're you're just so arrogant, you know. For me, not everybody is. Most most people are not, but I, I was, and I thought I knew everything. So I start working with my dad in the '90s, um, right after high school, and and it was my dad, my dad's brother, my uncle. The, the business's job was basically we would have these like milk runs, right? My dad would go to like local machine shops, and he would have barrels of metal and all of the borings and the scrap and the leftover stuff would go in these containers. So we would pick it up, take it to our little 2,000 square feet warehouse with the yard. So we would do that. And, And what happened around that time in the scrap business was that in the early to mid 90s, there was this revolution in in, in PCs, right? So like, you know, the, and again, it's been such a long time since I'm in this business. A lot of friends and family still think like, hey, how's the metal business going, you know? (laughs) Like, and, and the thing was, was that we were in that business, but what happened was that everyone started, like we hear about it today, but it was a really a kind of an unknown thing back then everyone started getting rid of old computers, right? Old computers and then companies, instead of having PCs or instead of having servers, like in your back room, you had like these giant mainframe computers. And these mainframe computers were like the size of a refrigerator. So these companies started calling us up, right? And they started like, hey, will you get rid of this for us? How much will you give that for us? And what we started to do was take these things apart and sort out the aluminum, the good metals, and the copper from the steel. And inside of these mainframes are circuit boards. And in these circuit boards, there's chips, right? Semiconductors, the things that we're all talking about now. Well, back then, we didn't know what it was, but we knew that there was precious metals in there. So we started recycling that stuff, right? We started, you know, popping off some of the chips, going to refiners. And it was, and again, it was going back to the whole swatting analogy, of being a scavenger and finding all kinds of things. Like you never, one day you go to one place and they have you pick up some steel fences or some metal beams. And the next day it's like, hey, we got all these microwave ovens, can you take? And it started becoming that. Like really, you know, Sanford and Sons, it was really like that. And, you know, there's there's a show, I think, on A&D or Discovery Storage Wars, and, and that's basically what it was kind of like with us. Like we would go to these companies, right? Like big companies, Fujitsu, and these are some of these accounts we had. And they're like, hey, we have a storage bin and we need to move out of it. And they had a bunch of surplus, a bunch of, it was everything. It was metal, it was scrap, it was electronics, maybe printers we don't get to go in there and like inventory it. You're like, you have five minutes to make a bid on it because another guy, your competitor is gonna come. And make a bid on it. So that's literally what it was. Um, from this time that we were just in the right place at the right time. And we were, you know, and and, and on top of this, like, again, it was like my, my dad and I, when business got tough, we had a truck and we would literally, we would knock on these companies front doors and go, Hey, we're here to pick up your scrap. And if you have electronic scrap, we'll pay you for it. Oh, we don't have any. And then my dad would like, let's go back at three and after we'd go back after they closed and all of it was in the trash. All of it was in the trash and it's going to go into the environment. Right. So we would pick it up. So out of this evolved this, this chain of events. And what happened is we started getting a lot of Semiconductors, a lot of brand new components that were being scrapped. And instead of scrapping them for five bucks a pound, we could we we could inventory these items and go out to other companies that are still using these. Meaning, you know, instead of throwing this in the trash, there's other companies that are still using these parts. Electronics go obsolete all the time. So I we started writing them down. And I have this mentality, and my dad's just like, oh. I don't want to have inventory, let's just sell it. I don't I don't care to make 5 bucks, I care to make 50 cents so we could get it off the books. And my dad had this mentality where he was working with companies that had large yards, a lot of employees, and I'm this, you know, idiot thinking that <laughs> no, let's do it this way. So there was always this clash of of ideals. And my ideal was, how can we scale this? So I started to learn kind of the chip business, right? Even though I'm not an engineer, I don't have an an understanding, this is pre-internet. So we started kind of separating these two businesses. You have, because a scrap business and selling new electronic parts that may end up at Best Buy, it's not good quality control. So that's kind of how we got started, Austin, is I had this business plan that was basically written on a napkin. You know, this is in 1996. I'm I'm probably approximately 24 years old, 23. And I go, let's separate the two businesses. I'll have this electronic side of the business where we're dealing with two parts. It will be a subsidiary of the metal company. It's probably not going to work out. (laughs) (laughs) But we have a truck and we could always go back to scrap. So we, we ended up, I ended up signing a six month lease. And that's all my dad, you know, kind of gave me or let me borrow from the other company's funds, which wasn't a lot you know, a few, you know, four or $5,000 or whatever it was. And that was going to be a deposit. And we won't, we'll just sign a six month's lease so we could get out of it and leave and go back to the old scrapyard. It, and that's pretty much what happened. And then at that first year or two, the whole chip business just started going crazy. We kind of evolved. We we upgraded to a 1200 square feet building to like a 2800 square feet building. And then we outgrew that. And we just started buying, we started going to other companies. Um, I started going all over the country, started going to big defense contractors like Raytheon, Lockheed, IBM, Motorola. And we started buying truckloads of material. And we started keeping the good things that we know we could resell, right? So I would look at chips and go, you know, we're going to pay five cents on the dollar, but maybe five years from now, somebody may use this. And we would put it into stock. We would Put out catalogs, and then we would scrap all the rest of the stuff. And I'm kind of a hoarder, so when you when you buy something for five cents and then you sell it for five bucks later, you start thinking everything's going to sell. <laughs> so you have to kind of know what you're good at and what you're. So that's kind of how it started and it evolved this whole thing. And then around the 2000s or so, things just started going crazy. And and, and kind of where I'm at today, I won't ramble on too much longer. But what ended up happening. With the scrap company and the company that I freelance electronics, the company that I still have today is in 1999. You know, probably the the, the most challenging thing that I ever went through emotionally, business wise, is my, my dad got diagnosed with cancer in his in his 50s, and um, you know, it right in 1999, and and it became apparent pretty early on that it was going to be a very, very difficult thing for him to be. So it was, it was, it was tough. We had these two businesses. Um, I was technically part owner of a scrap business and it was like, you know, what are we going to do? There was really no business plan or there was no really um, any type of succession plan. So long story short, he ended up passing away and I ended up buying the shares of the scrap metal business. I ended up closing that down because it just wasn't profitable. He was the only one. And it was really a tough time. That was that was the time that I was ready because we were having some inner squabblings with him and his family and, and his wife and my stepmom. And there was all these things. And that's when I just decided, you know, none of this is really important. I'll sell everything, start all over. Um, but it all worked out. So yeah, so I, I ended up taking full control over the company and, and buying out the shares. And you know, that's, that's kind of where we're at today. I mean, things have evolved and changed, but that's kind of what happened.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think those, those things are tough regardless. Right. And I, and I, I believe with the timing of our pre qualification call that we talked about my dad being diagnosed with cancer, pancreatic cancer in July and passed away in August. And so, you know, that already is tough to deal with. Right. But then you have to think about, we own a company together. And we don't really have an agreement in place that specifies what happens when Dad passes away. He's got a wife who's entitled to his portion of the business. And so you, you start to let these things unravel and you realize, oh my gosh, even with a small company that you know is insignificant by most people's measures, it, it's still important to have those types of things in place right? It's super important, the larger the organization becomes, because then it becomes more complex. And if there are multiple partners and multiple spouses and, you know, all those sorts of things. And so extremely important lesson, I think that, that you learned, you know, early on. And the other thing that I heard from that was, yes, there's all that. And we should have done this the right way. But I heard also heard, Ultimately, that's not what's most important in life, right? Like the relationship with my dad and working with my dad was most important. And we had these inner squabbles that were happening with the rest of his quote unquote new family, your step family. And, you know, and I wasn't there. I don't know exactly how it all unraveled, but it sounds like you just said, you know what, there are things that are more important than the business. I'm going to try to take care of
0: my stepmom and and repair that relationship and and let us both move on. You're absolutely right, Austin. And and I remember us talking about, you know, your father too and and those challenges. So you understand. And then what you do with small businesses, you see this all the time. It's a normal thing. And even with larger companies, you see this all the time, right? So the thing was, was that I had to let go of my pride and ego and think inside my head, Right it's it's that i wanted everyone to know that i'm the one that started this company and it's my business and nobody else can run it and and you know and and, and everything else is just kind of whatever but i had to let that go it's not that important right it, it's really not it's important but not more important for the relationship that i want to have with my family and the peace of mind so so how do we just kind of how do we come to agreement? How, how do we just let this? And, and it just all kind of worked out. And the thing was, was that the the thing that got me to that point, as far as, you know, being able to help grow a company, right? From, this, from zero to, you know, a million dollars in a very short amount of time. And again, it, it's not something that I, I take credit for. It was just kind of timing and the market but it was really kind of my dad, my dad's genius. And his genius was, was that he just let me do whatever I wanted. <laughs> like I wasn't a trustworthy guy. Well, now I'm a trustworthy guy. And he grew up from the generation, right? Where you have to figure it out on your own. I'm not gonna bail you out. You lose money, you're gonna, I don't want you to lose money, but you make a mistake, you're gonna figure it out. If you have issues, you're gonna figure it out. And and it's a family business in a sense where yeah, I'm the I'm the shareholder but I have a brother. I have an uncle. I have another brother. And that's not easy, right? You're, you're having to like be nice and and try to do the hard thing, but there's arguments going on. There's tension, coffee, things being thrown around the (laughs) office. And it's like, I got to run a business here. You know, we're, we're, we're a family and we have, we have employees, but I'm running a business. But again, my, my father allowed me to kind of make those mistakes. And my, and my father as far as being a mentor to me, never, and, and this isn't a knock on him. It's, it's he never told me what, he never showed me how to, well, I'll take that back. I watched him. He showed me by example. He never lectured. He never says, oh, we're going to sit down and I'm going to show you how to do calculations and I'm going to show, you know, my, my dad's a metal guy, right? So it was like, you need to figure that on on your own, and you're going to do it on your own. What he did was, is he supported. So I, I learned so much from just kind of at that point, you know, up to that point that my dad passed away. There were so many lessons in there.
1: Yeah, I mean, my my dad was the same way. I, I don't remember how much we got into my dad's background, but you know, my my dad was a stucco contractor. Before that, he was a mechanic, and before that, he grew up on a farm, right? And so, as blue collar as they come has a G had a GED, right? And and didn't pursue anything further than that because he dropped out of high school, you know, younger and then and then went and you know did get his GED. But everything that I learned from him was taught the same way. It was it was by his example. Right. I mean we, we talked it's not that he didn't teach me certain things, but he never taught me the technicals of of anything. It was really the biggest lesson that I learned from my dad was Work hard. And and it doesn't matter, like work hard, treat people fairly, be a good person. Right. And, And I think that those are lessons that anybody should be should be learning from, obviously from their dad, if if they're around mom as well, you know, parents, but that is in my estimation, even though I work with people who have very successful businesses and we deal with really important financial issues the most important aspects of everything that we do inside of our organization is helping them to understand what's most important mm. the money stuff the legal documents all of that honestly that's the easy stuff right does every business owner know it no and that's why that's why i have a business that thrives right because i have that expertise and that knowledge and i can help them but I believe that the most important thing that I do is help them realize what's most important to them. And then the planning follows all of that. All right. First, I'm going to pin you down on what you believe is your biggest failure so far in business, right? So it doesn't have to be just one, but what's your biggest failure? And then I'm going to allow you to to turn that and say, what's the, the accomplishment
0: that you're most proud of? Yeah, thanks for that. There are so many different failures. And, and I think, you know, there's mistakes, there's failures. I, I guess there's somewhat of a difference. Um, we're supposed to learn from them and go on. I used to think that my biggest failure is doing what I'm doing today, even though I'm still a business owner. But as far as acquiring small businesses, right, and, and trying to run them, like I should have done this a long time ago, right? That's what I thought it was. And again, I wasn't ready. So it wouldn't have mattered. But I, I would say one of my biggest recent the one that that stings, the one that I, I constantly rub my nose in in front of people to remind me is is really um I, I would say it was probably about eight or nine years ago. And I and I and I made the decision, Austin, that I was going to. Stepped down and running the day to day operations of Freelance Electronics, right, the electronic component company, and and I'm sure I'll go into that you know a little bit more in detail how I made that transition. But I, I realized that I had to I had to get out of the kitchen, right? It was just getting too hot. I realized that I had a lot of weaknesses that I, I wasn't able to overcome, and I just wasn't a real good operator anymore. And and I, and I don't mean that I. I could operate a business. I did what I had to do, but I just didn't have the desire for it. So what I did was, is you know, I'm I'm going to step down. I'm going to still oversee the company, but I need to get like a real operations person, right? Somebody that's going to take the vision and and grow the company and do exactly the way I was doing it. And I recruited someone who was a recommendation from somebody else that I that I trusted and respected. And what I did was, I he was the only person I talked to. I met him a couple times. We we ate, we had lunch, and it just kind of felt right. This is the guy, right? I didn't know a lot about him, and there were some red flags. And and again, when I say that something didn't work out, or if it's a mistake, especially when it came to a hiring decision, right? Because that's what this is about. It's it's really about a key hire. Is that it? It, it always comes down to me. It, it really does. And I'm not just saying that to try to sound <laughs> humble, but it's like, look. The, all of the red flags and all of the things are up there. We, it's like dating, right? We meet somebody and we want it to work out so bad because I have this agenda. I want to be done with my business. I don't want to retire, but I, I want to focus on something else. And I didn't even know what that was, Austin. I was just like, I, I want to invest. I want to maybe become a, you know, this is sounds crazy, but it's actually what I wanted to do and, and still think about doing someday. But yeah, I wanted to start a fund and, and manage money and, you know, buy businesses. And, and I still didn't have a plan. I just knew I had to work on that. Right. And so I, I hired this, I hired this, this person and it, it was, it was a disaster hire. It almost, and again, it's not a fault of this person. It, it's more has to do with culture fit. It's hiring the person that wasn't a culture you. I have a culture that's me, meaning these are people that are not like me, but they, they, we have the same goals. And we've done a lot of, you know, through, through mentorship and through coaching, right, I was able to get my company on board with what we were doing. I had a kind of a fine-tuned machine with the people that we had, and they were together. And then you bring in this person to lead the company that they don't really know and this person just wasn't a good fit and 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 it almost destroyed the company i had several people leave after i had one key employee that ended up coming back that's still with me today ended up leaving later on after that there was mistrust i had to go back in there and fix it and i had to really go there and apologize because this is their company as much as mine. I'm not there all the time. This is their company and I'm bringing somebody in that does not meet the culture. So, so I really had to, um, what I, what I try to do today is hire slowly, (laughs) take my time, make sure that the person fits our culture. And it's all about culture for me, right? Having the right people. You talk about integrity. That's what my dad was all about. And that's one of the most important things. And, And this person didn't fit a lot of those, but this person probably fit in other organizations that worked out well.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the reality is everybody's heard hire slowly, fire quickly, right? And we've all heard it. We all struggle with it. We all make hiring mistakes, but what I heard is you, you do. And I don't think that it was just, you know, feigned humility is you took responsibility, right? Cause it was ultimately your decision. Just, just because, he didn't fit with the culture doesn't mean that he's not great at what he does. It just wasn't the right cultural fit. And that ultimately comes down to you. And we've literally had this conversation recently with a client where I had this controller that did this and I had this general manager that did this. And okay, great. They did do those things. But ultimately, that's your responsibility. You can't just completely take your eye off the ball and trust that they're going to do things the way that they need to be done and then just blame them. And now he's, you know, they're gone. He's having to jump back in much like you had to and kind of fix it and then try to do it again the right way the next time.
0: Yeah. You know, I want to jump in here because you said something that touched on on an issue or an obstacle that we're dealing with right now in one of my companies. And it's the fact that we think, and when I say we, I'm talking about myself too, but I, I see this all the time. We think, Austin, because we delegate. You know, delegation is the key, right? We hear about that. What's 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 the key to growth? What's the key to success? You know, what's the key to try to scale in your business, right? And And it's delegate. And it's so hard for us right like we we're, we're all crazy to be to <laughs> want to be business owners who wants to do this right it looks great but once you do it from scratch right once you start something it's like what am i doing because it's like i'm doing everything i'm here at the office till 10 at night i got to keep my weekends open it's all this stuff so then we're told well no the good news is is that you could delegate, find the next you, find the Austin 2.0, find the next Dustin 2.0, whatever. So I'm thinking in my head, I just delegate and I'm done with it, right? But the thing is, is that, you know, what's that whole thing, you know, trust but verify. It's like delegation means follow-up, right? This is what I'm learning. And we're learning it right now. I, I teach this to, to the people in my organizations. So it's like, I have to know who I'm delegating to, right? Right. So who I'm delegating to, what is their area of competence? If it's somebody that's an expert in this field, you know, if I am delegating my business to to a fractional COO or CFO, right, chances are that my follow-up, follow-up is the most important thing with dele My follow-up is not going to have to be every day. I have expectations on that. You know, this is what I need you to do, but I can't just expect them because I'm kind of you know, I very protected over my time now. So why do I have to follow up with them? They should know this. But the thing is, is that everyone's kind of differently. So just delegating and saying delegating and let well, I let go. And and that was the thing with businesses. I don't know if you ever feel like this, Austin. It's like for me, it's like, okay, I'm too controlling, I'm a micromanager. And then when I let go, oh, I don't care anymore. They think I don't care. So I have to show up. you <laughs> have to make sure. And that's the thing out of the business owner is that, look, my, my advice is to, to everyone out there, and, and this is to myself also, is that we are not here to be, we're not running a popularity contest, right? You know, I, I'm not here to, make best friends, but I'm here to run a business. And the gift is that comes out of that of trying to run a good business is that you get these fringe benefits. And and there are relationships that you get with people. There is the joy of running a business, watching something grow, but it's also, if I do those things, everything else will follow. The money will follow, the growth will follow and all that. So hope that makes a little bit of sense on the delegation part.
1: Yeah, it makes it makes all the sense in the world because you're right. You you want to let go so badly that you just you fully let go and you don't do that follow up that you mentioned. <clears throat> so let's take a quick break. We'll hear a quick call to action for our listeners. And then we'll jump back in to kind of what you're doing today and and the obstacles that come along with that as well. Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no-obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now, back to today's program. All right, welcome back, Tycoons. We're here with Dustin Carrion, CEO of COI Holdings in Newport Beach, California. So Dustin, we've kind of covered quite a bit. I mean, your, your beginnings in, in scrap metal and then moving over to chips and technology and you know all those sorts of things. We talked about the struggle of letting go and, and some of the failures that can be made in, in making hiring mistakes. So let's let's quickly talk about one of the accomplishments that you're most proud of. And then I want to talk. I really want to kind of dig into what you're doing now with buying
0: businesses and the different struggles that kind of come along there. Yeah. Thanks, Austin. Um, you know, I think that as far as accomplishments, you know, there, there's I like to look at it at milestones. right? I, let me, and, and I'll kind of touch on that when I, and, and this is for me, I'm not trying to confuse your, your question here, but when I, when I think like I accomplish something, what happens is that I start to get too comfortable. Right. <laughs> and, and I, and I think that I have to always, for me, you know, the famous uh, coach, uh, one of the great coaches for the Lakers, Pat Riley said, you know, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And I truly believe that for myself, it's, it's a little torturous for people like us. Um, We're just, you know, some of them are, you know, I'm not smarter than anybody else or dumber than anybody else. I'm just wired a little bit differently. And so for me was that one of the things that really helped me was creating a structure to grow my business and look into the future and what it is, it's like a type of roadmap, right? I, I learned this when I was in my advisory group. It's about kind of looking forward, kind of looking outward, right? And, and, look, and looking into the future and saying, you know, what, what does my company look like, right? What, what, do I, what do I see my company in four or five years? You know, what is it that... I, and I think that what happened was, I'll, I'll kind of give you a little story was that, and, and this is tying into a little bit of what I'm doing today, or how I made that tra- transition? But I think to me, this is one of the things that that I'm really kind of proud on of my organization and that that kind of step. So I was in my advisory advisory board group, and around this time, you know, 2015, 2016, or so, right around the time I, I I made that I made that bad hire, was that I felt like I could do everything I could to grow my business past a certain revenue number right a freelance electronics the 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 industry was changing and and I was at this turning point either I throw a bunch of money into it and hire a bunch of people and buy a bunch of equipment and you know everything was getting technical so the Electronic parts nowadays, there's a lot of testing that goes into it, right? If you're a reseller, you have to test it. You have to make sure that the part works, that it's not counterfeit. There's all these quality control issues that, that go into this. And I made this decision that, look, I could throw a bunch of money into this, but I don't feel comfortable putting any money into this. So what am I gonna do? I don't want to sell the business. It's still generating great cash flow, right? So, you know, my 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 return on on investment, my return on assets, whatever you want to call it, was high. So I looked at it like on an Excel spreadsheet and I says, you know, if I just run out of of inventory, I could I could keep this business going for another five or six years. And what can I do with these funds? And, and at that time, that it's like, look at what I've been doing the whole time since the time I was a kid is, is is investing, buying something and selling it. Yeah, I know how to talk to people. I know how to sell things. Um, I, I know how to organized. I'm very focused at times when, when, when I when I work on goals. But it's like, what is it that I'm really doing? What is the business I'm really in? None of we really don't ask each other that, right? Like, what is what is the real business I am? Well, I'm in and selling parts. No, I'm not. You know, I'm I'm in the business of, of buying something and trying to resell it and make a profit, right? So it, it's at this time that you know I got this vision. I, I started I started reading. The, the thing that changed my life was reading a Brian Tracy book. I was in San Jose in the airport. I'd pick up this book. I'm, I'm, I'm a reader today. I wasn't an avid reader back then. I was reading like stupid stuff, but, <laughs> but and, and then this book just kind of changed my life. It, it was a simple, it was the, the, the road to wealth, so the way to wealth. And, and, and all, of, all that I got from the book is that, look, I need to get a plan together. And and I need to have a vision for where, where I want to be. And I need to improve on that all the time. And, and it's at this time that I really heard about Warren Buffett. I heard the name and I started studying him, reading everything in on him. And I started learning more about business from him. And one of the things is that, you know, what is it that makes a company great, right? What, what is what is that one thing that make, that is good in a company that I didn't really know anything about, right? And, and it was about what is its area competence? What is the one thing that that company does great? And what is its competitive advantage? What is the moat in that business? And I realized is that if I can't figure that out, then I got to do something else. And I couldn't really figure that out in, at my company, which I still own today. It's not a knock on this company. It's still doing pretty well. But at that time, so that's when I came up with this thing kind of like a mini Berkshire Hathaway. I I put it on paper and I put holding company, which I didn't have a holding company. And I put freelance electronics. And then I put all these other companies underneath and the synergies and who's going to manage them. And then with the cash flows, what I'm going to do. And it was just like this, you know, it's kind of a joke, but I kind of wanted it. And then at that time I had a business coach and, you know, her name's Linda. And, you know, I love her to death for this. She goes, you're going to share that in your group. And I'm like, I want to share this. It's not it's not real yet. She goes, No, you're going to share it. So I put it on a slide, and I'm like, and, and when somebody tells me to do something, <laughs> I, I I take it seriously. If if I tell myself to do something, I don't. So I'm like, okay, and I did it. And after I was done doing it, my friend Wade, I think it was the second or first time at that group, and and I really look up to this guy. This guy's a real titan of small business, and he says, I want to do that. See what you put on that paper, that's what I want to do. And I'm like, and at that time, Austin, is where I realized, you know what, this is where I need to go. This is where I need to go. And and, and that's kind of, you know, what, what kind of trans, transpired for that. So, so I think that as far as accomplishments, I, I don't know if that's a real accomplishment, but it's something that I'm really proud of is that it was that vision, right? Able to kind of get that on paper and kind of able to execute that. And, and that was the first big step for me. And, and once I did that, then, and I'm not saying it's easy, but things just kind of started to flow after that. I knew what I wanted to do and it took a long time to get there. But once I start doing it, like today, it's like, um, it's like that saying, it's like, you know, work, work in your business, like you've been doing this the whole time what I'm doing, like you've been, and what I'm doing today feels like I've been doing it for a long time. It's it's exactly where I'm supposed to be for today. I don't know about five years from now, but I know about today, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Sorry if I get real excited. I just, I get pumped up with this stuff, Austin. Don't ask me these questions anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great. It's exactly what
1: uh, what we're hoping to get. So, you know, essentially what you've pivoted to, I mean, you still have freelance electronics, it's still operating, it's still throwing off that cash flow that's it's super important as a business owner. But you've taken that cash flow and and maybe other dollars, you can talk about that, but you've decided to form a holding company and go out and buy existing businesses and then help manage them, grow them, and then sell them, or is it a is it a buy and hold
0: operation that you've got going? It's a buy and hold forever. It, it, it's a buy and hold forever. And, 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 I'll, and I'll tell you, Austin, like I, I could go in a little bit in, in, in some of the companies, but I could tell you about um, well, let me just back up. So we have a total of four companies, three of the companies we acquired in the last five years. So my first actual acquisition, like buying buying my first business is 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 a company is a company owner founder. It' been around for you know since the 70s, and the company is is a distributor of aerospace and defense hardware, right? So fasteners is really their main business, and and they they not also sell to companies that are dealing with aerospace contractors and defense contractors, but they also sell a lot to companies that manufacture medical devices. So one of our one of our biggest accounts is a company that manufactures and assembles prosthetic legs. And they're, 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 they're a big player in in the Olympics. So anything with athletics, those are our bolts that you see on those. So it's, it's, it was really kind of an interesting thing. And this is a business that I kind of knew a little bit about, but nuts and bolts always scared the heck out of me. And look, it's like, Understanding businesses, it's like one of the things that I learned most about investing in Warren Buffett is that I'm not smart enough to predict the future, right? And just because the future, just because the past was good doesn't mean that the future is not going to be good. But I know that nuts and bolts are not going to change because of Facebook or Google or Twitter, right? They're they're not going to go away. It's boring businesses And it was a small enough business where I was just like, wow. And I was looking for a very short amount of time. And this business just kind of fell on my lap. You know, I I went out and I started looking on the business forms, found a broker. Um, It was close by. I kind of thought I could understand the business pretty well. They didn't call me back. I kept calling. I kept calling. I just... Like I have to buy this business. I mean, of course it has to make sense, but I knew Austin that I needed to get this one. I think I could run it, and boy, were we in for a big surprise because you know there is a a big difference in starting a company from versus buying a company that's not really yours, right? You 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 inherit it from an owner founder, and you're inheriting a culture. That's very different from a culture that I'm used to. But the thing that gives me chills is that so we have we have that company. we also have another company that we acquired two years ago in the state of Washington and in the Seattle area. And what they do is they're just an old school, run of the mill distribution company delivering company we service like companies that manufacture food processing equipment they make trailers other companies make trailers they make fences another company is is a makes espresso machines for Starbucks and what we do is we we do their we do what's called bin stock and VMI programs so we refill their shelves if they need nuts and bolts we put nuts and bolts if they need PPE supplies, we give them PPE supplies if they need. Whatever they need, we'll find it for them. And it's a good run-of-the-mill company that's going to be around. And I inherited the staff there. It's just so great. They're just like the textbook culture. And then we have a, a company that we acquired last year in, in the Los Angeles area. That's you know our biggest acquisition so far. It's a decent-sized company for us. Um it has approximately I think we're at 20 or 21 employees at this time right now and growing, but they're they're primarily in the rivet and fastener distribution business in Bolton. they they sell to aerospace defense airlines, business jet companies that manufacture and maintain, and they're they're one of the the bigger suppliers for a specific type of rivet on the West Coast, and that's a company that's been around since the 1950s. This is I bought it from a second generation owner and and the thing that's gives me chills is that the pressures on me <laughs> and, and, and and my holding company right now i don't do this all by myself i have a great team and we're able to pluck people out of other companies and and we are still coming in there is not knowing a lot about the business, but how can we help this business be successful, right? You know, what is it that we do? So, you know, we have like this 90-day plan and we go in there and we just try to understand the business. And it's tough because, Austin, they're not going to trust us. They're they're, going to, you know, they don't know if we're going to liquidate them or sell them. They have no idea for that. So we're actually there to help them, to work for them. But yeah, the pressure's really on. And, you know, hope we don't mess this up. But the thing is, is that the reason why the main difference, and and I could go in this, you know, I could drill down on this if we have enough time, but the, the real main difference is that, you know, you're dealing with a company that's been around for a long time, that has a seasoned staff that have usually been with the owner for the long time. And the reason why I'm so attracted to this is that I cannot create this kind of business on my own. I I could put together millions of dollars somehow. And I can't, those accounts that they have, those OEMs, those companies, they've been selling to for 20, 30 or 40 years. They have quality procedures that I cannot replicate They have staff that have been there for a while. I cannot go in there and get it. These are sticky customers, and these are industries that are probably going to be around for a little while. And that is the moat. That is the thing that's really interesting for these, you know, for these American, you know, American businesses that are just so great. And when you're when you're starting a business, not that I wouldn't do it again, it's you know, you 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 have nothing to lose, right? (laughs) You're you're going in all in, and it's like, oh, I could. I could just shut this down and work out of my truck and, and make enough money. But when you're buying a business, there's a lot more responsibility. But again, we're not we're not doing it alone. We're just trying to say, hey, we want to hold this forever. But how can we? What what can we do to maintain the business? What can we do to make it better? What What are the things that we can bring to kind of help this business? And I and I don't always know that. I have to kind of figure that out from them. But anyways, but yeah, this is kind of what we're doing, and and that's the thing that I'm. So excited for in the future is that there's, you know, 10,000 baby boomers, as you know, Austin, you know, retiring every day. There's a, a ton of opportunities out there and there's, there's a lot of good businesses, there's a lot of bad ones. But again, we're, we're just looking for the ones that kind of fit our area competence.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that there are some really important points that you made there is, you know, I, I think nowadays, especially the younger generation, it's all about tech, right? It's all about high tech. It's about, you know, something that has to revolutionize the world. But the reality is these, as you put it, these boring businesses that are out there, they're profitable, they're well run, they're selling something that is not going to go away. Will there be innovation potentially? And there has been, right? But it's things that aren't going to go away. I mean, you talked about rivets you talked about nuts and bolts and now i'm going to forget what the last one was but they're they're all those run of the mill really boring businesses and one thing that you know i've got a really close friend of mine lives just just a street away from me at my house he is an entrepreneur has been his whole life and we talk constantly about the fact that things that make us Successful, and we're not the most successful people out there, right? But we're successful in our own right, is that there's nothing that is beneath us, right? Like some people believe they don't want to get involved in a nuts and bolts business or a scrap metal business or a, you know, whatever. I want to sell insurance or I want to invent this technology, I want to do this. But there's great ways to make a a living that you can put your head on your pillow at night, knowing that you're doing something that matters. You're keeping airplanes safe. You're keeping, you know, helping people build prosthetic limbs. Like there are things that really, really matter in those businesses. And there are quality people that work for them. And you're just coming in and trying to say, you got a great business. I want to maintain the status quo. And if there's something that we can do to help make the business better, then we're here for that. And that's a really powerful
0: story to tell. Absolutely. I think that that's the thing. You talk about passion. I'm not gonna say that passion, that money was my passion when I got started. This is my belief, Austin. Most, some people may not agree with this, but if you're, if you go, if you're passionate about money, you're, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna survive the business. You, know, you, you can't go into it for the money. I don't know anyone, I never did this for the money and and never didn't know what really that was. It was just the opportunity that I was given, right? It was this burning desire to want to do something. And I remember making like this incredible sale for my dad. And my dad was like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work out, you know? And, you know, it sounds like me today, right? Like being skeptical on things. And, and, and I remember like, you know, he didn't give me a commission from that. And, you know, we, we made like this incredible profit, you know, in one day and it was in luck, probably had a little bit of timing. The thing was, was that it was like, wow, I can do this. And it was that feeling of doing that. And that same feeling is what we try to do today in the holding company that we're trying to do, right? Like it's a work in progress. But the thing is, is that what I'm really passionate about is trying to unlock, like if, it, if you're an investor, you're to, it's a zero and, and, and it's a zero sum game in a lot of cases. I gotta find that one thing that other people don't see. I gotta look for that opportunity in something. And and what is it in that company, right? What is that? What is that? What is that hidden gem that other people don't see? And sometimes it's talent. It's like look at this person in the warehouse, right? You know, we find people all the time, and again and again, we're just kind of starting off. I feel like I'm still kind of a rookie with this. You know, that's the great thing is that I'm passionate about learning that there's so much more to do, and we just scratched the surface. You know, there's so many other opportunities out there, but it's like finding that one employee or finding that one customer that we may be able to get more business out of them, or maybe be able to help them with something, right? So. There's those opportunities there. But the, the best thing is watching people grow, right? Like giving people an opportunity. In order for for me, for a holding company structure like this to work, you have to have autonomy. We can't be micromanaging these people. And, and sometimes that's what it becomes. You have to empower people. Some of these people don't want to become empowered. Owners are very controlling and we do everything. And what happens is when you do that, you are not helping your people. You're making them worse. Because if you want a company to react fast to the markets, to react on an opportunity, you know, to, to get a quote from a customer, not have to wait for the owner. I mean, I talk to owners all the time. That's one of the biggest things I get to do is I talk to owners all the time that are selling. And some of them are very proud that I make all the decisions, I sign the checks, and it's like, great, what's gonna happen when you sell the business? Like if you wanna get a best value of the company, how have it, like Warren Buffett says, you need a ham sandwich to run that company. Have it then if, if you were to go to for a little while, God forbid, that it could be able to run on their own. So trying to see how we can make that happen which is being done slowly, but surely is really the thing that's passionate because it's really giving people opportunities. And again, Austin, the thing is, is that, man, this company, some of the, this company that I was talking about that we own today, it's been around for 55 years. Like it's incredible. Like if a lot of these companies don't have succession plans, if it isn't for people like us, entrepreneurs and small businesses this company could have easily closed down and it's a good business so the the thing is is that I'm a part of that just gives me chills you know I'm just grateful to be a part of that you're absolutely right i mean
1: you're you're preaching to the choir with some of the things that you're saying which obviously is is great but you know for those listeners who are listening and we'll kind of close with this cuz believe it or not we've gone the whole the whole hour here but less than 20% of all businesses in this country will ever transact. Okay. So whatever that means, whether it's succession to the next generation or whatever, and then there's even problems there, right? Like it goes to the next generation by the third generation, it's typically fizzled out, but most businesses never will sell. And it's for the very reasons that you just laid out. The owner never lets, You know, let's go of control, never puts in a plan, never does any of the things that they need to to make their business transferable. It's extremely important. And obviously, it's a way that you can come in now with your holding company and say, there's something here. Most people aren't going to be interested because of this particular problem, but I'm willing to work through that with this owner and with this team. And you're going to benefit from that. And so will the team, quite frankly right and so it it's you've kind of carved out your own little little niche here which i which i think is tremendous
0: yeah just let me just add one thing to that austin the, the the thing that i've learned the most is that it's it's the value of my time that's the biggest thing that i could take away from this whole journey of business it's the value of my time it's understanding how much I'm really worth, which I didn't think I was worth a lot. Honestly, I know that sounds crazy, but that's the truth. And it's opportunity costs. When I say yes to something, I'm saying, I'm actually saying no to a good opportunity. And, and with, the, with owners, and I've done the same thing, we're too cheap. We don't wanna pay somebody to do the things that somebody else can do that's better. So when I figured out how to do that, I'm still learning. When I got the right people in place, now I'm able to work on my business, not in my business. You know and and it's and it's huge. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't able to get the right people and understand that. you know, I have to say no. Warren Buffett said it, you know the, the you want to be a great investor, say no to almost everything. And that's a very hard thing to do because most of us as business owners, we have a hard time saying no. We really, really do. we want we want everybody to like us. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, no doubt about it.
1: Well, let's let's close with this, Dustin. If somebody wants to talk to you, and they've got a business they want to sell, or they want to learn from you, whatever it is, you know, whatever reason they'd like to reach out to you. How do they get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, and I just want to say that I, I'm more if if anybody wants to talk, not that I know all the answers. You're you're new entrepreneur. You want to kind of hear my experience of buying other businesses. I'd be more than happy to help you i um, in that process. I have a Twitter account. I have like four followers, Austin. I don't really post anything, but you could reach me. It's Dustin M. Carrion. I'm a little active on LinkedIn, so you could find me there, Dustin Carrion at COI Holdings. Um, my email is Dustin C. at COI Holdings.org.
1: Well, thanks so much, Dustin. Really appreciated the conversation. I feel like we're
0: kindred spirits in a lot of ways and, and look forward to staying in touch with you as well. Thanks, Austin. I I, pre- I felt like there's so much more to talk about, but I really appreciate your time. Appreciate being on the show.
1: Yeah, that hour goes fast. We warn people every time, but it's crazy how fast it goes.
0: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Arizona time, for an introduction to another great tycoon. And be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content.